So you guys, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. If you're visiting today, I'll just give you a quick rundown. We are a Calvary Chapel church. The idea of Calvary Chapel, one of the distinctives is that we just go through the books of the Bible verse by verse by verse. Some Calvaries literally start in Genesis and go until they're done with Revelation and start over again. We're not quite that cool. I have ADHD. I don't know if that would be as much fun for me. So I just pray when we're done with the book and I seek the Lord and we all just kind of like, man, what's God got next? And we just go where God has us next. And right now we're in the book of Acts and it's just cool to watch what the Holy Spirit does when you just press in to a book and try to see what the Lord might have for you. And I think we're in the right book. I think the Lord has got us here for a very good reason, you guys. And I'm excited about today as I've been excited about this whole thing. By the way, Wednesday night, we just finished up Nahum. You guys probably don't even know who that guy is, do you? He was a minor prophet. You're right. Steve does. Steve got to teach the last end of it. He got to give the message Jonah wanted to give. Like he told Nineveh, you're dead, (laughs) basically. The one that Jonah wanted to say. It was awesome. So, But guess where we're going? I need your prayers for this. We're going to Isaiah, you guys. And I, yeah. (laughs) Just saying it made my hands get sweaty. I'm so thankful God is faithful, but man, just pray for me that my brain can contain and know what things he wants to say to us as a church through Isaiah. So yeah, if you haven't come to Wednesday night, please, I would encourage you guys come uh, to Wednesday night. I had the privilege really really quick of when we were in Vegas, I taught at the Awaken Las Vegas and they were like, it's going to be a really light crowd tonight. We're starting a bunch of new classes and stuff. And it was a girl talking, so that's why I'm using my little voice. (laughs) And so they're like, it probably is going to be like a ghost town. And it was 250 people. And so I'm like, okay, if that's a ghost town, I'm like, we can't even fit that many at <laughs> one time. It was crazy. It was an awesome blessing uh, to just be able to teach there. And it was cool. So anyway, you guys, let's dig in. Acts chapter 9, we're starting in verse 31. And just to kind of give us a running start, last week, if you remember, we looked at Saul facing this great deal of persecution. Wherever he went, he had, he had accepted Christ right? We know, and I think you would if Jesus actually knocked you to the ground and blinded you. I think if you didn't understand that he was God and you're not, then you're an idiot, right? So like Saul accepted Christ. And then we saw that like, man, this guy Ananias, this regular old fella that just serving the Lord, praying, and he came over and he, he was, remember, he kind of had a little bit of an argument with God. He's like, do you know who this guy is? Like, are you sure you want me to go there? And so he goes and he prays over him. And I believe he empowers him. He baptizes him in the Holy Spirit in that moment. That is, this was a thing that, like, God, he was empowered, Saul was at that moment. Because before that, Saul was blind and praying and repenting and doing the things he was doing. But after that, what did we see? We saw the Saul immediately, it says, immediately went and started talking about Jesus in the synagogue. He immediately went in the power of the Holy Spirit and started speaking about Christ to everyone he found, right? And sadly, though, we saw that he was persecuted there. And the most sad thing, we saw that when he got to Jerusalem and went into the church there, the Christian church, he was persecuted there too at first. What a bummer. But what did he do? He continued to boldly tell others about the truth of Jesus. And he found that there were many Jews in opposition there in Jerusalem. And so they were seeking to take him out. And so last week we left off and Saul was escaping from Jerusalem and he went back to his birthplace, Tarsus, which actually is in modern day Turkey. I was privileged to be stationed there for four months. And I got to go to Tarsus and it was really, really cool. Our, our tour guide was for the thing was awesome. And my nickname before I was even ordained or even had an, an inclination towards ordination, my nickname in the military was preacher because I would always be telling people about Jesus and that's just what I did. And so that was kind of like a snarky, you know, tongue in cheek thing that they would always call me preacher. 
uh, about everything. But the thing is, is that our tour guide in Turkey, when we got in Tarsus, was like, this is the Apostle Paul. That's how my Turkish, that's my Turkish accent. <laughs> Forgive me if that's offensive. I don't mean it offensively. He's like, this is the Apostle Paul who lived approximately 30 BC. And I was like, right? And then, of course, all the guys I was with was like, what's wrong with that? What did he say? I'm like, well, BC is before Christ. And yeah, <laughs> it's okay. He just made a mistake. But of course, I was like, <laughs> anyway, today, though, we're taking a break from Saul. We're going to kind of like take Luke is going to switch gears here and kind of we're going to begin to look and focus a little bit more on Peter for the next couple weeks, I would say, as we dig through these next few chapters. But before we get to Peter, I want to start off, we're going to read, if you noticed last week, we stopped at verse 30. We're going to start on verse 31. And this verse is super encouraging, you guys. And so let's read it. Verse 31 of chapter 9 in Acts says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, excuse me, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You guys, I don't know if you're, if you write in your Bibles, I do, if you haven't noticed, I write so much sometimes that I lose the words. Um, But anyway, I, if I would encourage you, if you're a writer in the Bible or if you're a note taker, circle these two things, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Those two things I think are important. Very, very important. So what do we see here? Well, we see that God was using the church to plant new works. And if you guys were here last year for us as a church to be part of the, the you know, Vision Sunday last year, the whole heart that God's laid on our hearts is to not grow really, really, really large, but to grow big enough that we can plant churches and support them for six months until they get on their own feet so we can have multiplied, right? Because, man, it's just the truth. I talk to people all the time that are in Summersworth. Summersworth, y'all, I live almost in Milton. And they're like, I don't know, Dover's pretty far. I'm like, dude, I'll pick you up on the way. Be ready by 5 a.m. because that's when I get here. No, <laughs> people aren't going to leave here in New England because they're weird. Let's go to them. Amen. And that's what was happening here. I can't say that they're weird like New Englanders, but we see here that in all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, work was happening, man. Churches, we were being planted all over the place. We already knew about Judea and Samaria. You guys remember Samaria, that's where Philip went, right? So there was all we know. We've already seen that in the book of Acts, but Galilee's a new one. Just to give you a a context, the Sea of Galilee, right? This is like where Gaza, modern day Gaza is. It's like right there on on the beach, right? This is like it's kind of like Calvary Chapel started. Yo, bunch of surfers, right? <laughs> that, look, this was, God was moving in Galilee too. Man, churches were being planted. People were getting saved. And we read that the church, what does it say here? Had peace and was being built up. And I need us to understand this because when we read this, we're like, okay, if we follow this, the context of it, Saul was the one that wasn't in peace in this moment. He was the one that had all this kind of contention built around him and, and he left and went to Tarsus. And so it might be easy, especially with the way we stopped last week to think, well, Saul kind of took the brunt of all of the punishment and the persecution and the church had peace because everything was being poured out in Saul. That's actually not the case. Saul was just like the rest of the church in that sense. Anyone that was speaking the name of Christ had persecution. So what does it mean that they had peace? Well, here's the deal. We know 
And this is why we know that they were not at peace. This is about 37 AD when this particular piece of history was being talked about and what was happening. Do you know who was in charge at that point? Caligula. If anybody knows that name, you know he was a freak, man. He was not a good emperor, right? Like he ranks up there with Nero for freakiness in multiple ways, but we won't go into that, right? But he was just not a good guy. He hated the Jews. He despised the Jews. By the way, he wasn't a very liked emperor either. He only lasted four years and then he, he was killed. He was assassinated. But during those four years, life was hell for the Jews. And remember, the majority, especially in Jerusalem, of the Christian church was what? Jewish. <laughs> they were not at peace, quote unquote, the way we would examine peace, the way we would think of peace. That wasn't the peace that they were walking in. This was not a time of peace. What we see here, though, is that the church was filled with the peace of God. So in spite of the persecution and torment, God was giving them peace in their hearts. And through this, the church was built up. You guys, I know you probably think that I just keep hammering on the American church, and it's because I do, because I think we need to understand that we are the anomaly in the world. The church in Iran is at peace with the Lord. Why? Because they know where they're going. What's the worst thing Caligula could do to these believers? Send them to Jesus. Yay, you win. Honestly. Church, we're afraid if we get hangnails. Right? I mean, I'm just being honest. And I'm talking about me too. I'm not up here judging y'all. Listen, we all have a lot of room to grow. I quite enjoy my comforts. We were on our trip home from Vegas, and I knew we had a funeral here, and I was doing my best. When you're a pastor and you keep teaching things and you keep telling people the truth of God's word, I'm just being real with y'all. The hardest part of it is whenever you need to hear that truth, and you're like, I <laughs> you get it? You know what I'm talking about? It's like as a parent, when you tell your kids something, oh, if everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you? And then you're like in a situation that you're at work and you're like, but I want to jump because I don't know what it's going to, right? You know what I'm talking about? Come on. All the kids in here are like, oh, that happens to you too. Yes, it does. We're coming home. Our, our flight was super delayed coming out of Vegas. They were like, you're going to have a super tight connection. Like we're talking minutes, right? My sprinting days came in. I was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> We made it. They held the plane for us. But the whole way there, I had to keep reminding myself, Lord, you're in charge. Lord, you know what's up, God. Lord, you don't need me to do this funeral. And yet at the same time, they really want me there, Lord. And I don't know what to do with all that because it would be a lot easier if you just made it easy. Right? But he, he allows those things in our lives. Why? Because I think it gives us an opportunity to actually rely on the Holy Spirit to learn to trust the Holy Spirit more. And so even in that little thing, listen, I am never up here judging you guys and speaking these things to you. I'm talking to me too. We need to grow up as the American church. Amen. We have peace in the Lord because I know where I'm going at the end of my days. And it's, it's, it doesn't matter what happens because, I, guys, I don't know that our country is going to stay the way it is, and I'm not a doom and gloom kind of guy. We have the best country in the world. I'm thankful to have served our country in the Air Force for 15 years, the best armed force out of all of them. <laughs> uh, we got some Marines and Navy folk here. Where's my Air Force? Come on, buddy. That's right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the reality is, you guys, is that our country is a, it, it's an experiment. What did Ben Franklin say? It's a republic if you can keep it. 
We're human. By the way, I don't think we've been doing a great job with it for a long time. Not just this president. And not just the one before it either. Or the one before that. It's been a while. We're in a decline. God can rescue us. And church, guess how he's going to do it? Through us. If we keep praying about it and not walking it out. Anyway, I digress. So in spite of this persecution and torment, God was giving them peace and the church was being built up. They were growing and being strengthened. And we see too that through all this, and this is the two important things that I asked you to circle or to to highlight or whatever, and that is this. The, The church was walking in these two important things, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I need you to hear this. The church did not stand in awe, which is what the fear of the Lord really means. It's deeper than just awe. It's not like fireworks awe where you're like, oh, whoa. It is that, but it's deeper than that. It's like, oh, wow, you can squish me like a bug kind of fear. You won't because you love me, God, but you can. Does that make sense? It's that healthy sense of like, you are God and I am not. I'm your creation. You're the creator. It's that sense of knowledge. They didn't stand in awe and fear of Caligula. Church, sometimes we stand in awe and fear of our boss more than we stand in awe and fear of God. Sometimes we stand in awe and fear of what someone might say about us or to us. Then we stand in awe and fear of God. Sometimes, listen, for y'all that are younger, and I went through this too when I first got saved, I stand in awe and fear of what my reputation might mean. Not so much, though, because I didn't really have one. (laughs) Well, I did. It was bad. So I guess I did have a reputation. You're a loser. Hey, that's me. But they didn't stand in awe and fear of Caligula. Like I said before, what's the worst he could do? Send him home. You win. They stood in awe and fear of God. They knew exactly who was the most important in their life, you guys. They knew exactly where their help and their salvation came from, and they rested in it. And that's what brings us to this next part. They also walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And listen, this is a sweet place to live. And it's a struggle to stay there. It is. The Lord this week taught this message to me over and over and over again. There are things that I went out to Vegas to do that, that got wrenches thrown in them left and right, and things didn't work out the way I thought they would. And I'm trying to do this thing that I see as something that is a good thing, and yet it's not working out. And I had to go to God again and again and again and be like, God, I'm trying to rest in you, but why are you doing this? Why won't you just work this out for me? Why won't you let me help? Why won't you? And God's like, not right now. And I had to walk that out. And then I get on the plane, which is so much less than the other thing that I'm not going to share with you guys because it's really personal. And it's not just my life that's been affected by this. So I'm not going to share that yet. But the point is, you guys, is that even getting on the plane, I'm like, why, God? Why would you? You know what? We got a funeral. We got in. God's like, hey, just rest. I got this. And we got on the plane, but it wasn't until we got on the second plane. And in my own eyes, I could see that I was okay. That I was like, oh, Lord, thank you. Oh, Lord, you're so faithful. Oh, Lord, you're so good. And you know what God said? The Holy Spirit actually, or maybe it was just me in my twisted sense. I don't want to accuse God of, of that. But, but the, I felt like in my own heart, you know what God said? was like, well, I could still take the plane down. <laughs> so that's why I say I don't know that that was God. But even in that, we're like, oh, God, in my estimation, this has worked out in my favor. And God's like, you're not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we just got to trust him and be, in his, and be at rest in him all the time, amen? And man, it's hard, you guys. But we, the Holy Spirit's with us. 
He is. All the time he dwells inside of you, Christian. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, you don't know comfort and peace. You can't. And as I've already said, we struggle to walk in it. So we're not somehow special as Christians. We're trying to figure it out. But at least we have the availability to walk in comfort and peace. You guys, what we see instead is this. Instead of trying to do things in their own power, they walked fearing God and trusting that God's plan was the right plan. And they didn't do it in their own power. They were like, Holy Spirit, we need you to speak. We need you to move. We need you to do all the things that you have to do. That's the only way anything's going to get done. And guess what happened? It multiplied. Church. You know why I want more people here? So that we can plant more churches. Y'all are already too big for me. And I'm glad for that. Because every day I'm going before the Lord and being like, God, yeah, man, I don't even know some of y'all's names yet. I wish I did. And that's minimal in comparison to all the other things that God wants to do through our church body. But the truth is, you guys, is that without walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to happen. But as a church does that, I believe this is true. It's going to multiply. God is going to do a work. And, the, and God is doing work here. And I praise God for that. But here's the thing I want to run by you. And I already gave you a clue based on our thing. The church multiplied right here, and I think it was because they were learning to walk in missional rest. This verse is the idea that I feel like God's called us to for next year. By the way, I didn't pick that. I picked that back in September when the Lord laid it on my heart. And the reality is, is that whenever I read this verse, I'm like, that's it. I didn't know exactly where I was going to go on Vision Sunday until then. Because I'm like, this is missional rest. They were on mission They were fearing the Lord. They were doing the things God had called them to do, but they were doing it in the power and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, which put them at a place of rest. You guys, when we're walking in that, I think God is going to bless his body. And he's so good, he blesses us anyway. Verse 32, let's keep moving. Is it hot in here or is it just me? Okay. Verse 32 says this. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord." Peter didn't stay in Jerusalem forever, right? We, we know that. So he was moving around. He went around and he just went around all the different churches that had been planted. He was kind of like doing what Paul did throughout the bigger world. He was doing it around in his area, right? Galilee and Judea. He was just going around all these like church plants and just trying to encourage them, trying to love on them. And they're cropping up everywhere. So he went down to this place called Lydda. This is about 35 miles from Jerusalem. So this is not a short trip on foot, Right. You guys ever come to a meeting with me in the summer? I love to take people on meetings. I'm like, hey, let's go for a walk. And sometimes people are like, okay, and they don't know what I mean. We do a three and a half mile round trip. Yeah! Love it. It's awesome. But 35 miles, I won't ask you to walk that because I don't know if I want to. <laughs> you guys, just to give you a kind, of a, a kind of a dot on the map, so to speak, this 
city doesn't exist anymore. And for a while, we didn't really know. But what a lot of scholars now believe is that it's right around where now modern-day Ben-Gurion Airport is, which is right outside of Tel Aviv. So this is a little ways away from Jerusalem. And so Peter was there, and he was able to minister to the church there, and specifically to this man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed for eight years. Literally, if you read it in the Greek, he was a quadriplegic. He couldn't move out of his bed. That's why it says it's bedridden. They're trying to get the point across. He, it wasn't like this guy was like, oh, let me get up and put around with my cane or my crutch. No, this guy was like straight up flat in bed. And I want us to think about this because he was a, a member of the church, right? That's what we see here. Isn't that beautiful? What does that tell us? The people there loved on him. They took care of him. Church, we need to be that. We do these um, meals that I would encourage you guys to sign up for. It's on Church Center, right? It's, it's our virtual congregants dinner, and they're just for the people that just can't make it. And we have folks like that that are just physically not able to make it, you know? And, and man, I love that we get to do that. And I love that those dinners, man, we, we pack it out with as much as we can and just try to get people to like get to know the folks that are stuck out there. But I love that here they, here they are doing this for this man, and I believe they would have done it until he died, right? Because they loved him, and he was part of their body. But Peter, I love it. He gets there, he calls out his name, and he says, get up and make your bed. Get up and make me dinner. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> get up and make your bed. And we see that Aeneas stands up in faith. He's like, all right. And so he gets up, and he, he makes his bed. And we read that, man, Peter, because of that happening, was able to go and minister to people all around there, not just in Lydda, in Sharon too, the town next door. And man, God moved and God used this through this miracle that people came to the Lord and turned to the Lord. And I think what an awesome thing it must have been, you guys. Did you ever, and I would encourage you if you don't, just man, read the word and stop for a second and put yourself there as much as you can and be like, man, what was that like? What was that like? Like the people are coming in with the food and being like, all right, it's time, man. Hey, can we help you? How can we feed you? What can we do? And he's like, hey, what's going on, guys? I made some dinner. You want, a, you want some? Like how cool would that be to see, whoa, what happened? What, what's going on, right? And he's like, ah, God just totally healed me. I'm good. Man, God was moving through his church and specifically in this moment through Peter. It's awesome. Let's keep reading. Verse 36 says, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good, who's going to have a baby? I want to know who's, next girl's got to be Dorcas. Love it. Says she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, The disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. And so Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, he took him in the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Good old Dorcas. She was a good old gal with an unfortunate name. (laughs) Tabitha, you guys, and Dorcas mean the same thing. That's why Luke for whatever reason, decided to let us know. Tabitha, which translated, means Dorcas, and they both mean deer or gazelle. So there's that. Apparently, Luke wanted us to know. (laughs) The Holy Spirit's like, "Mm, that's good. (laughs) 
So the, here's the thing, though, that I think that we read out of this, and this is the thing I find is something that I really feel like we can get a lot from, and that was that she was a disciple. She served Jesus. She knew Jesus, and she was full of good works and acts of charity. And we read that she became ill and died, and the other disciples there, at least two of them, went out to Joppa to grab uh, the disciples from Joppa went out to grab Peter, right, and bring him to there. And so, Peter, I want to look at this because do you see what it says there? It says he didn't hesitate. He got up and went with them. Do you ever think about this from the modern day perspective? Listen, I will be real with you and tell you that on Sundays, teaching two messages and getting here at like five ish in the morning and doing all that stuff, like by the time I get home, what I want to do is curl up and sleep. What, I, what it's my pleasure to do is take calls and to minister to people and sometimes to get out off my rusty dusty again and go back out and meet with somebody or love on somebody, just being honest. But is it easy? No, you got to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not just me. It's all of us, isn't it? You come home from work, you're wiped out, your wife has to talk to you. You come home from work, you're wiped out, you know, you're doing, or, or let's say it this way, you're, you're a mom that's been home all day with the kids and the kids want to have a serious conversation with you and you're like, I've already had my fill, thanks, right? But you do it anyway because you love your kids and you love the Lord and you want to serve him. You guys, listen, Peter could have been that guy that's like, dude, God just used me, used me to heal a paralyzed man. I'm spent. I'm shot. I ain't got nothing left. Give me a break. But he didn't. He trusted the Holy Spirit, he got up, he walked all that way, and he went and found out what was up. And when he got there, the other widows were there, and they're weeping, and and they're alongside him, and they're showing Peter all of the work of Tabitha's hand. This is what Tabitha did. I need us to hear this. When it says that she was full of good works and acts of charity, guys, she was a person that didn't just have good intentions. She just didn't think good charitable thoughts. She did them. She walked them out. She was a person that did good works. And what she did was vital. She made garments. Think about this. Widows didn't have money. They still don't, by the way. If you go on a trip to Africa, you will see people that are literally relying on God's favor for their next meal, let alone clothing and everything else. That's all secondary to fill in their belly a little bit. You guys, man, Tabitha, I keep wanting to say Dorcas, Tabitha <laughs> did real things. She used the gifts that God had given her and, the, and, and everything to, to make something that was super vital for these poorer ladies. And she didn't do what the modern day church loves to do and start a sweatshop to start selling these blessed garments to everyone else, right? Or to start saying like, well, how could, listen, man, as a church, we have an info at awakengreatbaycalvary.com email address. Do you know what most of those emails that I get how you can grow your church to 300 just give me $3000 and I'll tell you how you can grow your church to this you can do this do you need that what do you need do you need hey and I get calls all the time like hey I don't know ew if god gave you something give it for free right that's what i say Hey, if the Lord blesses you a little bit because people want to i'm not saying that you're not worthy of your wage and all that i'm saying Man, churches become this gross thing. And what I love about this is that that's not what we see with Tabitha. We see a person that's just like, man, God's gifted me with enough money to buy fabric, which was expensive. God's gifted me with the talent to sew it together. God's gifted me with the ability to teach other people. We see that a lot in the DR. There's people that are being taught. They're sewing machines on the church campus to, for, for women to come in and learn. 
and grow and be able to, to sell the things they make and to do these things. We're setting people up for success, but we're not doing it to make money. But she gave of her time and of her money to help create things for these women in real and tangible ways. And listen, we have a local outreach meeting coming up this Wednesday, right? I just want to encourage you guys, please come. Please come, but I need you to hear this. I want to challenge us as a church to not be a church that just has great ideas. Not be a church that talks about ways to serve the community. This one might hit a little close to home for some of us as Americans. I don't want to be a church that just gives our money towards something because we're not willing to sacrifice the harder thing, and that's our time. That's the more expensive thing today, isn't it? Money's easy. Even if you're poor here in America, you are outrageously wealthy compared to most of the middle class in the rest of the world. I want AGB to be known as a church, you guys, that does good works that gives freely of our time and of our resources. You guys, that the community knows that, man, we know the Lord, we love the Lord, and we want you to understand that we will do whatever we can, whatever God-honoring means that is available to us to tell you about who Jesus is. And if that means we can do your load of laundry, great, because guess what you got? 45 minutes to talk to them about Jesus. Right? It's awesome. The laundry is just a thing. It's going to get dirty again. Their soul coming to Christ and knowing them for eternity in heaven, oh my gosh, that's priceless. Verse 40. After they were shown all these garments, Peter was being shown all these things by the widows. It says this in verse 40. It says, but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And, she, uh, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling all the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. You guys, Peter here, a second time we see, does things in a very specific way. He put everybody outside. He kneels down and prays for Tabitha. He calls Tabitha. He says, arise. The, the, the words there are this, Tabitha kumi. Tabitha kumi. It's important. Remember that. He helps her up, and she sits up when she looks at him, and he calls everyone in. He's like, hey, here we are. And so then we have the life of Dorcas part due. Come on, y'all. That was funny. <laughs> you guys, people believed in Jesus. God used this to grow the church in Joppa. And I have to say, and I think about this every time I come across anywhere where someone is brought back to life in the Bible, I wonder if they were sad. Do you ever think about that? It always makes me wonder, like, man, unlike Jesus who was resurrected to life, here, Tabitha, you guys, Lazarus, they were brought back to life to go and die again. And think about where they left to come back. I'd be like, for reals? Listen, I'm just telling y'all, when I die, nobody in this church better ever <laughs> utter a prayer for me to come back. Listen, I will be quite content. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I'll see you when you get there. Believe me, be. <laughs> 
<laughs> the final thing we read here is that Peter goes and he finds lodging with Simon the Tanner. And we're going we're gonna to look more at that next week. It's, an, it, it's, it, it's a verse that gets kind of passed over, but I need us to hear something. To the Jewish mind, when they would have read that, that would have been an utter shock. It would have been completely shocking to them. And we're going to talk more about that next week as we continue our way through the adventures of Peter's travels and all this that, uh, stuff that he was doing. But listen, if you don't know what that means and you don't know why that was shocking, I would just encourage you, man, go do some research. Like read ahead, chapter 10, dig in. But we're going to talk more about that next week, why that matters and what was so crazy about that. But there's a lot to, to that. But in conclusion, you guys, the big takeaway from today is this. I don't think we can do much without the power of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I don't think it, I know it. We can't do much without the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, church, just like these guys didn't thrive and find peace by being like the culture around them, church, we can't be like the culture around us. That's not going to give us peace. It just makes us irrelevant. The church didn't find peace and thrive by working real hard in their own strength. The church didn't find peace and thrive really well because they had a really, really amazing coffee barista like we do. You guys, they found growth, growth and peace because they, they honored God above all things in their lives. They looked at God and they're like, you're it, God. You sent your son Jesus to die for me. The least I can do for you is die in my own life to you, to give my life for you, whatever that looks like. And Lord, if that means many long days, and lots of persecution and torture, well then so be it, Lord, I trust you in that. If that means a short life, so be it, Lord, I, I'm with you in that. And I think that that's how they grew and found peace is because they realized where their peace came from. And they didn't do it in their own power, they did it in the power and comfort of the Holy Spirit. They walked in the mission that God gave them, but they didn't do it in their own power, they walked in the mission God gave them in the power of the Spirit, you guys. That's it. And I need you to hear this. This wasn't just Peter and Paul and a few other guys. It was the whole church. This isn't for some elite group. This is for the, all of us. All of us just broken freaks trying to figure it out day by day and walk it out with the Lord. That's what God wants to do through us is to learn day by day to trust him more and bring all of our junk to him every day and say, God, you know what you're working with. You chose to save crazy me and do something with it. And so Lord, I trust you. Do, do what you will with me. You guys, I think, I don't know about you, I, I want our church to be that church that walks in those things. And I don't know about you, I think we have a lot of room to grow. I know I do. Man, I have a ton of room to grow. I think we all do. We see here this idea of missional rest playing out as Peter walks around and serves. And I want us to see something in this. Flip over with me to Mark chapter 2. There's something I didn't really bring up initially. What we see from Peter both times is almost an identical mimicking of how Jesus did things. And I think it's important to, to look at Mark chapter 2, verse 9. You guys remember, right, the, this guy who was paralyzed, his friends, right? So his friends brought him and, and ripped away the thatched roof and, and lowered him down right in front of Jesus, right? You guys remember that story? Verse 9 he sees and knows that, man, all of the religious leaders are like, oh, what's happening here? And they're not digging on what Jesus is saying, and they're not, right, they're not, they're not feeling it. And he says this, 
knowing their hearts. In verse 9, he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. You sure didn't. But do you guys, do you see the parallels between that and Acts 9.34 that we just read? Right? What did Peter say? Hey, Aeneas, rise up and make your bed. You're already home. You're in your bed, but make your bed. It was like, I heard Jesus say this, and notice too, he didn't say, Aeneas in my name. No, what did he say? Jesus Christ has healed you. Jesus has healed you. What about when Jesus used Peter to raise Tabitha and Joppa? Remember when Jesus healed the ruler of the synagogue's daughter? Remember that? Flip over with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22 because if you guys remember, the ruler comes and says, hey, come with me, come with me, come with me. And then the crowds press around and that's where the woman with the bleeding issue has, and that's kind of that little inner middle, middle section. We're not going to touch on that today because it's not... We're kind of looking at the daughter being raised from the dead, but let's read in verse 22. It says this, And one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And then we're going to skip down, you guys, to verse 35 says this, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow except who? Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. What did Peter say to Tabitha? Tabitha Kumi. You guys see it? Peter's like, I don't know much, but I watched Jesus do these things. This little girl's dead, right? This, this little girl that I saw Jesus raised from the dead, and now I see this person here that has passed away. Man, I feel like the Lord wants me to do it, but what's he do? He, he, he acts like Jesus as much as he can. He, he does his best to say, man, this is what Jesus did. This is what I'm going to do. Can I tell you guys something? When the Spirit of Christ is moving in your lives, you will sound more like Jesus in your speech. You will think more like Jesus in your thoughts. You will act more like Jesus in your actions. Guys, it's for all of us. Here's the thing. Not that we're ever going to be Jesus. He was perfect, and we're not. Not that we're ever going to walk it out perfectly. We are not going to. We're going to screw it up daily. We just are. But the truth is, the Holy Spirit will grow us to be a clearer reflection of who Jesus is as we submit our lives to him. It's encouraging, you guys. As we submit our screwed up imperfect lives to the perfect direction that God has for us, you guys, can I just encourage you? 
when you're in the word and you're taking in, especially the gospels, and you're like, man, Jesus, look what he did to that tax collector. Oh, Jesus, look what he did to that. And then you are out in the world and you're like, Lord, I want to be used by you. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to find people at the coffee shop that are a bunch of freaks that you in no way, shape, or form would ever bother to talk to. And that's going to be the person that God might send you to. And you're going to be like, okay, Jesus, I need you because I have no idea what to say here. You get it? We get to, we get to walk this out with him. It's an encouraging thing. I pray, you guys, that we as a church continue to say, man, God, I want what you want for us. I want to see you move in us. I want to see this church be your hands and your feet and your mouthpiece when necessary and your ears most of the time. Lord, I want to hear what you want us to hear. God, I want to do what you want us to do. I want to be that church, you guys, and we are never going to get there in our own strength, ever. Man, we got to learn to rest in the power of the Spirit, amen? Listen, for some of y'all, I'm, I'm just telling you, and I've been praying this, that God, that the Holy Spirit would move in us in order, but that we would begin to see the giftings manifest, that we would begin to see things happening in our church, not because I'm chasing some weird thing, but because I want to see God moving in us, and I want to see the Holy Spirit, and I want us as New Englanders that the, that the ground would be broken up a little bit. I keep saying to everybody, our church is Baptocostal. The Baptist part is that we don't want to shy away from getting in the word and knowing the word. But I'm, I don't want to be so Baptist that we lose the costal part. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit is still alive and well and moving, you guys. Let's have them both, amen? Let's pray. Man, Lord. You are so good to us. And man, God, we are here walking uh, around in this country that you've blessed us to be born in, Lord God. And Father, for those of us that are here, Lord, that have come from other countries, they know better than all of us crazy Americans ever will what other places are like and, and, and the joy and the privilege we have of being part of this country. Lord, I love that you, get, you put us here, but God, I, I think you put us here for a time like this, Lord, to break up the status quo. God, I pray, Lord, I want to be what punk rock was to the 70s. I want to break up uh, the world's BGs, God. The world's ABBA, Lord. I want to be that punk rock music, Lord, that just speaks so counterculture, Lord, so different. But, Lord, I want that to be your love. Holy Spirit, your power, your movement. Lord, I don't know what that's supposed to look like, God, but I know that it will never look like the culture around us, God. And that's the thing, Lord. I want us to be a people that love you, that fear you, that want to serve you first and foremost with our lives, Lord, and that we want to do that, Jesus, like you did, not like a bunch of legalistic jerk faces like the rest of the, of the religious world. No, Lord, you are so different Oh, God, we want to look like you, Jesus. We want our lives to to be more like you every day. And Holy Spirit, we know that's something you're doing in us as Christians. And so, God, would you continue to do that? Lord, if there be anyone here today, Lord, that are watching online or listening to this later on the podcast, Lord, that doesn't know you, Father, I pray that they would understand who you are. Jesus, that you are our Messiah. You are our Savior. God, you are more than our life raft, Lord. You are the, you're the boat, the life raft. You're everything. You rescue us entirely and completely because we are incapable on our own, Lord. 
I thank you, Lord, that it is good, good news that you lived a perfect life. You died a sinless death and you rose again for us just like you said you would. And Lord, I thank you that that's what I'm holding on to, that that's what we as Christians are holding on to, Lord, and that we are just beggars that know where the bread is, God. Lord, I pray, Father, help us to continue to walk in that, to not get so haughty, thinking we're better. We're not. You're better, God. You're everything. You're perfect. We love you, Jesus. God, I pray if there's anyone here today that they would not walk out of here the same as they walked in, Lord, that they would take hold of who you are, Jesus. And Lord, I do lift up the rest of this body, Lord, all the Christians in this room right now, God. And I ask, Father, man, we are not here to hear a word and walk out and forget it, God. That is what James talked about, Lord, that we don't want to be a people that look in the mirror and forget what we look like. When we walk away, God, change us. Man, we need you, Jesus. We need you to do a work in us, God. And that requires effort on our part, but the effort is to submit. The effort isn't to womp it up and do better. Oh, God. Help us to do the work that you've called us to do, to submit our lives to you, Holy Spirit. Move in us, God. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Awaken Great Bay in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our church or need prayer for something in your life, connect with us at awakengreatbay.com.